0: We'll Thank you. church. Welcome, welcome. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I pray that God finds you at peace in your heart. And if you're not, this is the right place, too. It is good to see you, as I said. Um, As I go into the the call today, uh, there's many places in here where it speaks specifically to us and things we are to do. God calls us to do. So as I read them, as you hear them, Think about them. Psalm 105, 1 through 6. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in his strength and seek his face always remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and judgments he has pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Abraham, his chosen one, the children of Jacob. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you, Lord God, for your grounding, for your solid ground that we can turn to always, no matter where we are, no matter where we find ourselves. And you are there. Touch each heart that's here in this room and those who are home that are joining us online. Meet each need, Lord God. Lift our hearts that we would lift our voices to you. That we'd lift our minds to think of you and pray to you. Bless this entire service. Bless those who lead us in worship and song, prayer, and as Jason brings the word. Father God, we love you, Lord God. May our hearts rejoice in you today. In Jesus name. Amen. Stand with me as we recite our creed. I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the virgin Mary, Suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified dead and buried he descended to the dead the third day he rose again from the dead he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead I believe in the Holy Spirit in Christ's universal church the communion of all believers the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting amen let's worship good morning everyone as we begin worship today
1: i would encourage you to find space in your worship time to rejoice find time to pray find time to give thanks let's make those three things our focus in worship
2: someone in your extended family you would wish to pray for, I invite you to come on down to the altar where we will meet you, anoint you with oil representing the presence of the Holy Spirit. So come on down now and receive what the Lord has for you this morning.
3: Perfect submission Holy is that?
2: My heart, Lord. Soften my heart from all indifference. Set me apart. To feel your compassion, to weep with your tears. Come, soften my heart, O oh Lord. Soften my heart. And so, Lord, as the old chorus says, soften our hearts. Help us to not fall into the trap of contentiousness and even anger when confronted with people or positions that are contrary to ours. Rather, give us compassion and strengthen our character so that we might seize the opportunity to witness Your love in this fallen world. Once again, dear Lord, we confess our shortcomings. We are aware that we have done things which are displeasing to you, and we have left undone things that we ought to have done. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And as we repent of our sin, lead us back to the paths of righteousness for your namesake. We thank you for your closeness as we face trials and temptations of many kinds. We're so grateful for Your forgiveness and for Your saving grace and for the promise of eternal life with You. And we thank You for the one true constant in the universe, and that is Your unconditional love for all that You have created. And we look forward to the time and hope that it is soon when justice and righteousness shall rule, when Your kingdom is established in its fullness, and when Your will is done on earth as it is in heaven now. And so we approach your throne with confidence this morning, knowing that you hear our prayer and you answer our prayer. And as you continue to provide for our needs through healing, deliverance, comfort, and earthly sustenance, help us to be ever mindful that your faithfulness to us is always there, even when we have not been faithful to you. For those who need a touch in their bodies, we pray that your healing power will be released into their bodies and that they will be made whole again. For those who may be facing severe financial problems, we ask you to provide all that is necessary for their needs. And especially for those who may not know you as Lord and Savior, we pray that you will anoint your church with the power of the gospel of Christ. As our pastor speaks this morning, we pray that through him we hear the word of the Lord clearly presented so that we might be filled with hope for coming days. And we pray this morning, Lord, that as we celebrate the beginning of the third year of Jason as our lead pastor, that you will bless him and that you will bless his family and that you will bless his ministry to us here at FTC. In all things may we say and do, may they bring glory to you and you alone. For truly you are the builder of the church, and we ask you to show us the way. All these things we ask in the name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Please remain seated.
1: Good morning. Uh, This morning we have a wonderful opportunity to recognize and celebrate some of our leaders here at Faith Discovery Church. And so uh, in any endeavor, business or community or church, leadership is a key part of a successful function. And here at FTC, this congregation is led by a group, by two groups of people. We have deacons and we have elders who are part of an overall leadership team. Our deacons are charged with the care of temporal matters of the church. They oversee the budget. They uh, take care of the building or they take care of the funding for our ministries and our missionaries. And when a deacon enters into this role, they commit to a three-year term and each year as a church uh there are, we have two positions uh in, on the deacon board that are up for consideration. Uh for the last year our deacon board has uh been and I'm going to ask these people to come forward if they're here. Our deacon board has been uh Pat Pageant, Laura Dini, Michelle Canada, uh Basil Mbimbo, D- uh David Bishop and Mark Jensen. And so would you welcome them as they come forward? Uh, You you guys can come right up here. There's room for all of us. I I lost some weight, so it'll be good. Yeah, we'll stay up here. There are uh, this year our two new deacons um, are actually well Michelle is is taking a second term so the way it works in our constitution now is one can serve for two consecutive terms two consecutive three year terms and then they will uh, step need to step down and so Michelle is taking on a second term um, and uh, and Walter Nesbitt Walter why don't you come forward. Um, uh, is accepting his uh, uh, his term as as our new deacon, and so I want to thank Michelle. I want to thank you for your consistent and constant leadership here at FDC. She's actually going to serve upstairs in kids' church in just a minute, but we just want to say thank you so much for that. And this year, we we as we announced last month, we 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 welcome Walter to our team, um, and so we're really excited about having you as part of the team. And I'm going to ask the two of you some some covenant questions in just a second. But uh along with the the, de- the deacons, our elders are also and I'm gonna ask these these gentlemen to come forward as well. Our elders are entrusted with the care of the con- congregation's spiritual welfare. And so things like preaching and worship and, and our elders are Phil Marcello and Gary Hollenbach and Tom Edmonds and actually myself. I uh part of the role of the lead pastors that I serve as one of the elders. And so uh, at this time as a group, we're going to pray for Uh, Walter and Michelle, why don't you come up here too and we'll pray for you. But I've got some questions for you. Um, First, let me ask you, do you willingly accept the responsibilities of serving uh, this congregation as a deacon motivated by your sincere love of God and your desire to promote his work through this church? Do you commit to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of your Christian life and to seek to glorify God in every manner of your life? And do you pray to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live for Jesus before this congregation and the world? Would you join us as we, as we pray for these guys this morning? God, I thank you so much for a wonderful church. Lord, you said that the church... Uh, is your bride, and so as, as churches all over the world today come together, we, we stand united with them. But we're we're so blessed to be in this place with these people, with this facility, and with your presence here, Lord. For for some 90 years, you've been a faithful source of inspiration and power to this community through this church. And so for Walter and Michelle and our elders and our deacons, God, I pray that you would continue to allow us to be a beacon of light. I pray that you give Walter and Michelle wisdom and discernment, give them divine insight, and that you would lead us forward into the future. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And so, uh, as pastor of Faith Discovery Church, please allow me to say thank you and to welcome you. And in just a second, we're going to get a chance. You're going to get a chance to greet each other and welcome them if you'd like. And uh, before we do, I have one more acknowledgement we'd like to make. Um, this announcement and this prayer time is Pat's last... Activity as a deacon of our church. Uh, I told you just a few minutes ago that a deacon serves two consecutive terms. That was part of a constitutional amendment that was made in 2000, uh, 20, 2021, I think. Pat has been a faithful servant and deacon, a deacon of our church for more than 22 years. And uh, and so, would you <laughs> welcome, join me as we thank you for doing this. And uh, Pat, we just. Um, we know how much you love attention. Yeah. So we just have a small <laughs> gift for you, and we just wanted to say thank you for all you do. Now, she's not going anywhere, but uh, she'll transition out of this part of her leadership. She'll still lead our pantry and do all the things that Pat does around here. But uh, thank you so much. And uh, while they're coming down, stand, greet one another, find someone you've never met or you've never talked to before. Say hello, introduce yourself, and share how you found out about our church. We'll be back in just a minute.
4: We've gotten so used to music during our meet and greet time. We're going to get our announcements up in one second. Oh, so I... Okay. <laughs> so we have. you have to sit here and look at me for a minute. I was just going to do our announcements with no slides because I was confident that you could just... Write it down and have it in your mind. But most of all, we're glad that you're here. If you're new here, there is a connection card in front of you. Um, If you haven't filled one out before, we would love to get to know you. Maybe someone greeted you at the front door. We hope so. But if you would like some more information about the church, um, there's a gift for you waiting. If you'd like to go over to the information center um, and just let us know you're here, we would love to know that. Um, a couple things to put on your calendar. Um, Saturday, September 16th at 8.30, we are having a special event that men's group is sponsoring. Um, Jerry Palmieri, who was the athletic trainer for the Giants, I'm saying that as as af- as if I actually know that. I do not know that. I'm just telling you that's who he is. Um, he over here is speaking to men's group. So this is a great time to come, a great time to bring a friend with you. Um, you're invited to wear your favorite uh, football team jersey. doesn't have to be Giants. So come and represent. <laughs> come and represent your team. Um, bring someone with you. Um, come hear what he has to say. So that's not this Saturday, but on the next Saturday, put it on your calendar so you can... Plan to be here. Also coming up next week, we are back to our full schedule, so Awana and youth will be meeting next Sunday at 4 o'clock. If you are a part of Awana, um, please read your child again so we know that you are coming. Um, you can scan the QR code in your bulletin or over at the Welcome Center um, to um, let us know that you will be there. Kids, if you have friends that are in school with you, invite them to come to Awana. There's always a place um, and we'll be ready for you at 4 o'clock. Um, Gary was uh, spiffing up the youth group room this last past week with his team and he'll be ready for your teenagers too. So 4 o'clock next Sunday, back to full schedule for the kids plan to be there. Um, also coming up, and I know this is a little bit far away, but not too far away, September 30th, we are having a membership class. As we just um, celebrated this morning, um, new deacons uh, our continuing elders and deacons. Um, being a member of the church allows you to be part of the leadership team as well, as, as well as just getting to know what it is that we believe, getting to know who we are as a church, getting to um, be at meetings and vote on things that we're deciding on. I would encourage you, if you've been part of this congregation, um, to take the next step to become a member. So please do that. Saturday the 30th is just one morning, and you can learn about um, all the things that require – to be a member, um, and hopefully there will be a big group of you. So we would love to see you then. Um, As always, we continue to thank you for your giving. We continue to thank you for your faithfulness as we go into a new year, as we are planning ahead for the future. We're so grateful um, that us as a leadership team, we don't do it alone, that Pastor Jason doesn't do it alone, but that we can do these things together. So thank you for being faithful, and let's continue to worship together.
1: You're like
3: me, there are some Sunday mornings you wake up, and you'd rather not. You'd rather stay in bed, but you come anyway, because you come here by faith, because you know God will meet you, and he will honor your sacrifice of
1: praise. So I want to encourage you, make that sacrifice of praise, no matter how you feel, no matter what else is going on.
3: See the way Even when my night Won't turn to day. Even when my night, Don't be, be okay I will trust you Jesus Even, even when I don't know, know What to do I will my eyes Upon the truth You are on my side
1: That you are always with us, that in, in a world where there seems to be no uh, constants and we're there in a world where we're not exactly sure who we can trust, I thank you that you provide us the faith to know that we can trust in you. God be honored, by everything we say and do this morning, in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, kids, you may be dismissed to kids church, and while they're going, check this out one last time. 10 ten commandments <laughs> phone on, uh, on this holiday weekend. Um, it is, uh, I also want to say hello to all of you joining online. It's great to have you from wherever you are around the world, uh, hanging out with us this morning. Uh, for, for those of you who grew up in New Jersey, you know that no matter what the calendar says, Labor Day signals the end of summer. It's when down the shore doesn't have the same hours. It's when uh, the calendar doesn't lie. School starts. Now, in other areas of the country, school starts in August. That's not the American way school starts after Labor Day. At least that's when it counts. I think if it starts before then, I don't think it matters. But uh, Labor Day is here. It means school starting. It means that pumpkin spice flavored drinks are everywhere. It means the days are getting shorter and the nights are getting cooler. It means uh, uh, all kinds of the trees are going to uh, start to change color and we're going to start to see people decorating for fall. And it also means something else in the church world. For those of you who have worked in church before, you know that Labor Day signals the mad dash to Christmas. Christmas is here, folks. If you're frustrated by me saying that, you've joined many of the people that I was in meetings with this week. Everybody's frustrated by the fact that I'm already on Christmas. Uh... Uh, I was freaking out people all week. And so I've been talking about Christmas and Advent. Uh, on Thursday, I was doing Christmas Eve planning. And I had Christmas carols blasted in my office. And, and all this kind of stuff where I'm excited. I'm ready to go. Because I know it's about a 120-day mad dash to Christmas. And Jessica, by, by Thursday afternoon, she was like, come on. Can we celebrate fall a little bit? And so I walked over to the calendar and I started counting Sundays till Advent. And she says, I know you're right, but you don't have to celebrate it because we're 13 Sundays away, less than two weeks of Sundays away from Advent. We got a lot of stuff to do in the next couple of months, but, uh, I'm already there. Now, I apologize. If that frustrates you, if you're like, Jason, I like fall, I like pumpkin spice lattes, I like to see the leaves change, I like all this, can you stop talking about Christmas? I will. I understand what you're saying. Because when I'm lucky enough to have joy take me to Hobby Lobby, let me, rephrase, let me just say that again. When I'm lucky enough for joy to invite me to that place, and it's August or even July this year, and they have Christmas trees up. I get frustrated too. So I understand what you're saying, but uh, that's what Labor Day kind of signals to the, to me and to, to many of us and to uh, you know all of us. It's kind of a change the the, the focus. And so today, we're on uh, Labor Day weekend, we're concluding our summer series on the Sinai experience. We've talked about how for a year, about a year, a little bit less than a year, but let's say a year, the Israelites camped around the, the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, where God was on top of the mountain. He had invited them up. He would give them the Ten Commandments and the law. They would spend a long time there. And some of you are saying, I feel like it's been a year we've been talking about this. Some of you are excited that next week we won't talk about it. <laughs> Some of you are sitting in the second row. And we're feeling that way. But I hope you've gotten something out of this series. It's been a found, it's such a foundational time in the history of Israel. It's a foundational time in human history, and it's a foundational time that Jesus actually himself used as a guide for his teachings. And as I've shown quite often, these were actually things that Jesus expanded on. And so if you're new with us or if you haven't been here for a while, we've listed the commandments that we already taught on. And if you want to see them, they're at, in your bulletin in, on the notes page. They're at the bottom of the, the notes. You can see all the things that we've talked about. Uh, or in the app, I encourage you to use the FDC app. You can take notes in there. Uh, it's a great way for you to stay in, in tune with what's happening at the church. Uh, it's a helpful tool to keep you up to date and to, to find notes. It's a way you can give. It's, it's really a, like a one stop shop for how to be, uh, to stay in kind of the, the circle of FDC. And so today we're gonna finish our time by focusing on two commands now some people will be you have heard this as one command your whole life i'm i'm making the 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 case this morning that it's actually two commands because there's two times in this in the statement it says do not but i have to admit how you count the ten commandments even though i've joked about it this summer is less important than understanding the message that God's trying to do through his message to Israel. And so as we get to the covets, we're going to call them the covets today. Uh, don't get so wrapped up as some have joked this summer with me and I bantered back and forth as to how do you count to 10? I told you at the beginning somewhere in the, in the history of the church, we struggled on figuring out how to count to 10 all of us on the same way. The idea is not that we figure out how to count the ten, but the idea is that we figure out how to understand what God's to, saying to his church, both then and now. And so, uh, let's start by reading Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. It says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so as we come to the end of the Ten Commandments, there are a couple things that are important for us to reiterate because they're crucial in helping us understand what happened at Sinai and how it's affected so much of human history since. The first contextual idea is that it's important to know that the Ten Commandments are about character formation as much as they are about legislation. God is using this experience at Sinai to prepare a new nation. They're going to have their own land. They're going to have their own legislature. They're going to have to figure out how to function as a society. And so they get laws for their society at Sinai. But God's as concerned with the character formation of the people and the nation as he is about helping them build their laws. That's the first thing that's important. If we look at scripture, all the way back to the garden, God's desire has been for man to trust him and obey him. How many people remember that song from when they were little? Trust and obey. For there's no other way David will sing it for us next- No, he won't. We're not, we're not doing that song next week. <laughs> But God has been, from the beginning, God has desired that we would trust him and that we would obey him. God has always been after our hearts and our actions. For Israel, since the time of Abraham, God has revealed how important trust, i.e., our heart was to him. See, in Genesis 12, God calls and makes promises to Abram. Right from the very beginning, God's saying to Abram, trust me. I make, and he makes promises about his future. He makes promises that his descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. By Genesis 15, Abram's like, okay, I don't understand what's going on because I'm getting older and I don't got any kids. And Abraham isn't seeing the fulfillment of God's promises and he wonders what God can do to a or chi- uh, for, to, do to a childless man or for a childless man. And so in Genesis 15, verse 5 and 6, it says, uh, he, he took him outside and said, look up at the stars in the sky and count them. If you can indeed count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offering, offspring be. And then this hugely key verse. Abraham believed the Lord and he, and God credited it to him as righteousness. God celebrated that Abraham, well, Abram or Abraham, same guy. God celebrates that he trusts God. From the beginning, God's Purpose, God's desire for humanity has been to bless us because we trust Him and we obey Him. The second, uh, the, God gives the Ten Commandments to the Israelites because He wants them to know that they can trust the way of life they lead. Uh, that if they trust the way of life God's leading them to, that He will bless them. And not only will He bless them, but He will use them to be a blessing. The second contextual idea it's important to understand as we uh, look at the Ten Commandments is that the Ten Commandments are not exhaustive. They weren't the capacity of the law that God gave to Israel for them to function. There were more laws to come. Exodus 22 is a whole list of stuff that God would go on to tell Israel about how they should function as a nation. God would go on to give them many laws uh, and, and it, uh, it, about how they should form the culture and society Society That would be the nation of Israel A land that would be built, upon the, built in the land that God promised And so after Exodus 20 Moses climbs up back to the mountain He comes down, he gives them the Ten Commandments He goes back up and God gives them a whole longer list of instructions The Ten Commandments are not God's final word to humanity They're not God's final word to Israel And they're not God's final word to us from high on the mountain, God was calling Israel to a high standard of behavior. God, God expected a lot from them. And he wanted them to know what it meant that they could succeed if they were faithful to the agreement or the covenant they had with God. God is for humanity. We look at the Old Testament, and the Old Testament, the, the portion of the Bible, the first section of the Bible, the section of the Bible that deals with before Christ came to earth, and it's got a reputation for a very harsh God, a punitive God. But when you read it, when you unpack it, when you see what's going on, let me be very clear, right from the very start, God is for humanity. God is never anti-human. Now, there you can go through and you can find ways he holds them accountable. Those of us who have had children know that part of raising children is teaching them accountability, punishing them when they do wrong, blessing them when they do right, but at no point do we stop loving them. Then they become teenagers. Sometimes we don 't like them, but we never stop loving them. We are faulty, imperfect, in fact, terrible examples for the love of the Father god doesn 't ever stop loving us he doesn 't ever stop liking us, but there was accountability, and that happens in the Old testament, and so the Old Testament has this reputation of a angry God let me tell you the Old Testament is the idea of a loving God right from the very start God is for humanity and so at Sinai God is letting Israel know that he is for them and so today let me let you know God is for us the law was Israel's way of knowing God and living out their vocation in the world God was saying, here's the law, and I'm giving this to you because I love you. You're my representation in the world. Let me show you how to do that well. And so he gives them the law. And so with that in mind, we can now confidently look at the last two commands. And like I said before, at least I feel confident in calling these two commands because the, the words... The English words, do not covet, appear twice. There's multiple things that we, so we have, do not covet your neighbor's house. And we have, do not covet your neighbor's wife, servants, animals, or possessions. And right away, we have these two do not commands. Whether you want to look at them as one command or two, uh, quite honestly, I, like I said, I don't really care about the numbers of it all but they are very different from the other do not commands. Does anyone notice how they, these, these commands or this command, however you want to look at it, is different than the other do nots? Do not murder. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not steal. This do not is different. Can you, any idea why? These are what I would call the best behavior commands. For for some of you, you might not be following. Um, uh, for some of you, the, the following was maybe not an uncommon occurrence, but it was certainly not an uncommon one for me. Imagine yourself being in, uh, as a child. Okay. Picture yourself as a child in the backseat of your parents' car. And you're driving to somebody's house. And maybe that... People's house, if you're a pastor's kid, maybe those people's house house is somebody who goes to your parents' church. But it's certainly a friend of your parents'. And before exiting the car, often even before you arrive at the people's house, you hear a lecture that begins with, Now, fill in the blank with your name. I.E. Now Jason, we're going to the blank's house. We'll say it's the Smith's or the Jones." We're going to the Smiths' house, and while we're here, I want you to be on your. Best behavior. You all heard this, this, say, this, this conversation too, and your best behavior. It's a totally subjective instruction, <laughs> or else. If if my parents on the way to the Smith's house or the Jones's house had said, Now, Jason, while we're there, do not murder anyone. I think at the end of the time, it would be rather easy to figure out if I had lived up to the instruction. If I had, when when they tell you do not murder, you definitely know what the prohibitions are. The do not covet commands are both subjective, and interestingly enough, they're completely unenforceable. In society, at least. No one knows if you're coveting in your heart. That is a total thing you can mask. But God knows. God is saying that these commands, especially these last two, but in many ways all of them, they speak to the conditions and the desires of our heart. God knows our hearts, but our fellow man doesn't. They couldn't put this in the legislation. You shouldn't have covetous thoughts or you'll be arrested. Now, there have been weird places like that in history, right? The Salem witch trials. They just made up accusations about people being witches based on behavior that had nothing to do with it. It's one of the great things about Monty Python. They make fun of it. If it floats, she's a witch. Okay, I don't know how that makes sense. Well, it's Monty Python, it's not supposed to. But you understand the point. God knows our hearts, our our fellow man does. How can anyone prove that someone craved or coveted their neighbor's house or their wife when lust is is a heart condition? The internal nature of these commands hints at the function of the entire law. These instructions paint an ideal picture of a covenant keeping Israelite, including their outward behavior don't murder, and their inward heart don't want things that aren't yours. When God gives the Ten Commandments to Israel, He gives them a picture of how they should behave outwardly and feel inwardly because God cares about our desires. And our actions. He wants us to trust Him and obey. So, so as we under, if we, if we take that for granted, for, if we take that as truth, that God's concerned about our outward behavior and our inward motivation, let's design, let's define this morning exactly what coveting is. And we're going to do something I don't like. I don't like to define something by what it's not, but that's what we're going to start with. We're going to start by what, what, saying, what coveting is not. Coveting is not the same as having desires. The Ten Commandments, these commandments, the, covet, the do not covet commands do not prohibit every kind of longing, want, or, or thought of having something nice or better. Jesus knew what it was to be hungry and to want food. In the wilderness, he understood what it was to be tempted, and, um, and and he got what it was to feel abandoned and alone. While on the cross, we know that he knew what it was like to be thirsty because he asked for a drink. It's not bad to want stuff. Jesus knew what it was to suffer and to ask God if there was any other way these situations could work out. And he, and he did it. In the garden, he says, God, if there's, Father, if there's any other way we can do this. And at no point in the middle of that, I don't like this. Does he violate the commandments? It's not, coveting is different than wanting. These commandments are not against their feelings. Uh, in, in the book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, the author Jeremiah Burroughs argues that contentment is not opposed to a sense of affliction it 's not making uh, it 's not opposed to making an, in an orderly manner our petitions known to God or to our friends it 's not wrong it 's not a violation of this commandment to say, God, I really need you God if there 's any way i could you could bless me or I could have this or I could get this. Orderly. It's not opposed to a lawful seeking of for help in different circumstances. It's not coveting is not saying you have to be okay with whatever lot you get in life and you get no opportunity to make it better. That's not what "don't covet" means. The Bible often commends desire in its proper place. From Sarah and Hannah, we see that the desire for children is a good thing. From the book of Proverbs, we see that plan, planning and hard work through them, that we might improve our lot in life. And so desiring some kind of domestic or financial advancement is not automatically wrong. And it's certainly not wrong to want more or a deeper relationship with God or to desire an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In fact, a case can even be made that Paul, in in Philippians, Paul makes his desires known to the church in Philippi. He says, to be quite honest, I don't want to be with you. I'd rather die and go be with Jesus than to be with you. But that's not what God has for me. So I'm going to be content to be right here with you. It's not wrong to have desires, but Scripture promotes the idea that our problem is not that we desire things, but that we desire the wrong things or we desire things in the wrong way. So if that's what coveting is not, let's talk about what it might be. What makes coveting such a serious sin? Let me suggest two answers to that first question. First, when we covet when we want for ourselves what belongs to someone else. When we start to get our eyes off of what our true contentment is, off of Jesus, and start to say, Ooh, I really like that. In the spring, Scripture says, when kings go off to war, David stayed back from his army. And he's standing on top of his castle, and he looks over, and he sees what had to be a beautiful woman. And he starts to say, I like that. And he gets himself in trouble. When we want for ourselves what belongs, Bathsheba was some, Uriah's wife was somebody else's wife. When we want for ourselves what belongs to somebody else, we covet. Second, we covet when our desire to have, uh, is or uh, when our desire to have is an expression of our discontentment. Fill in. Maybe you've ever heard somebody say this. I'd be happy if. If you are finding yourself saying that sense, we gotta check the standard of our covetedness. Because our contentment doesn't come from things. And when it starts to, when we become blinded by that, when we become masked to that, when we become open to that opportunity, we're opening ourselves up to, find, to trying to find peace in something other than Jesus. Coveting is a heart condition. To crave what one lacks can often make one bitter or sullen. The more you focus on what you don't have, the more you'll be discouraged that you don't have it. It builds a wall in our hearts between us and God, the God who has given us so much. When we covet, we are in effect saying that we don't believe that God is big enough to help us or good enough to care about us, so we got to take for ourselves what will make us feel better. Our discontentment is an expression of what we think God owes us. Let me rephrase that in a way we'll all feel better about. Our discontentment is an expression of what we think life owes us. Most of us would not be so brazen as to say it that God owes us, although in our deepest, deepest pits, we may feel that way. When our contentment is found in things or situations or fantasies or fill in the blank, we are intrinsically saying uh, to, that God is not able to bring contentment to us and we are attempting to find our contentment in something other than God. So let me offer you some takeaways about how to avoid the trap of, co- of covetedness in your life. First, and you've heard me say this before, do not play the comparison game. When we play the comparison game in our life, we, no one wins. Because somebody's got something that seems better. I don't like social media. I'm going to be very honest. In this way, I'm very old. What I don't like about social media is as I scroll through, everybody's living their best life. I don't see what's really going on. I see what's presented. And when I see what's presented, it seems as though other people have it great. And I can be happy for a minute. Wow, look how awesome it is for them. But at about two minutes, I start to say, why is not it so awesome for me? Because I'm aware of the photos we don't post. When we look at our own lives, we're aware of the unedited photos. When we look at everybody else's, we look at the pristine best life stuff, and we think, well, they've got it all together. Look how good it is. Look at the smile on their face when they're at blank. Now, when they're at Disney World, because it's the greatest place on the planet, unless you're my wife. When we play the comparison game, we lose. We lose our focus on who brings us our contentment, which leads to the second one. We should pursue contentment. How does one pursue contentment? Being thankful and pursuing God. God, thank you for what you've given me. That's easy to pray. When you've had a good day, when everything is bad, when there's nothing to be thankful for, and yet you are saying, thank you, God, for being with me in the midst of this desert. When you come to the point like Christ did when he said, dad. There's got to be some other way we can do this. And then he follows that with, but not what I want, what you want. When you come to a place where what God wants in your life is more important than what you want for your life, you know you're not being covetous. Does that mean you should be happy with life? Happy's not promised. There are going to be tough times. We're going to talk about that this fall. Our next series that we're going to start next week is going to be a number of weeks where we talk about the lessons that Paul learned from Jesus. After that, we're going to talk about suffering. It's not my favorite topic to talk about. We're going to spend a couple of weeks talking about suffering. We're going to be real. We're going to be honest. We're going to be vulnerable. Because part of life is going through hard times. It's going to happen. After we talk about suffering, it's going to get much better. Lexi's going to preach. The end of October. And then we're going to, then we're into November. I told you Christmas is close. We must be in, intentional about pursuing t- contentment. God, this is a very spiritual prayer. It's one I highly suggest you pray. God, help me be content. you've had rough years God I am not content help me to be content I don't want to be happy I can want change I can want it to be better God help me to be content and knowing that at least you are with me in the struggle Help me to be content to know, help me to have confidence to know that you'll never leave me, you'll never forsake me. In a world where I can't count on anything, help me to be thankful I can count on your presence with me. Those are real, raw, spiritual, deep prayers. And sometimes you won't believe it, but pray it anyway. Keep praying it. You'll start to see some fruit. You'll start to see some roots take root. You'll start to see things that you at least can find hope in. Pursue contentment. You. We have a couple of more that I want to go through. How to check your covetedness. These are in the... We all know uh, Foxworthy's You Might Be a Redneck If... Well, these are, you might be coveting if, one, you're willing to hurt others to get more for yourself. If you're willing to do harm to others to get more for yourself, you might be coveting, because it might mean to you that that thing you're looking for is more important than the person you're hurting. That doesn't represent the love of Christ. Second, if you're consistently focused on making and accumulating more, if the priority is more, you might be coveting. You can never have enough, fill in the blank. Most of us know that saying, there's never enough money. There's never enough money. Let me challenge you, when you hear that statement, to start to reframe your mind and say There's never enough of God's presence There's never enough of the power of the Holy Spirit There's never enough of God's transformative power In my life Because that's what we want to pursue You might be coveting If you're not willing If you're You've got to ask yourself am I, How much am I willing to give up what I already have If you're not willing to give up what you already have for the betterment of somebody else, you might be coveting. Because again, the thing is more important than a person. The reason Jesus prays in the garden, not my will, but your will, is because he places the importance of the people, us, me, you, over what he wants. Last, how to check your covetedness. You might be, I don't know, are you frequently grumbling about house or spouse? Our house isn't big enough or it's too big. My spouse isn't big enough or they're too big. Don't ever grumble about that, by the way. Quality or quantity. I don't have good enough or I don't have enough of. All of these are starting with I don't have. Or are you frequently grumbling about house or spouse, quality or quantity, or general state of life? Do you find yourself frequently complaining about what you don't have? That's a sign that you might have some coveting problems. Now, if you have covenanting problems, the Bible teaches us that you're a terrible person and there's no hope for you. No, it doesn't teach that at all. What it tells us is that we're human and that we have sin in our lives, every one of us. And that that's sin, God wants to us to repent of that. He wants to remove that from our lives so that we're a better representation of the one whose name we carry. Because of his love for us, he wants to purify us. Remove that. There's hope. If you're here this morning and you've said, Jason, you've just defined every thought in my life. Let me say to you, there's hope. You're not a terrible person. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And there's nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love that's in Christ Jesus. You have to come to a point where you say, God, I want your way more than I want my way. If only I had blank, I would be happy. What's in the blank? Is it a nicer house? Is it a newer car? Is it a... A spouse or a different spouse? Is it children or grandchildren? Or is it good looks? Or is it a successful career? Or is it spotless health? For most of us, the blank is our functional God. It's the thing we most pursue. It's the person, the place, or the thing we can't live without. Because coveting at its root is about idolatry. It's about something that's more important to us than God is. When we covet, we're believing a lie about who God is and how he loves us. And we have to fight that temptation, and we can only do that through faith. We must remember who is with us and who loves us. I referenced this earlier, but Paul writes this in Philippians 4. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need to remember the one who is with us, the friend who sticks closer to us than a brother, the one who will never leave us or forsake us, the high high priest who is interceding for us even now. This morning, God, Jesus, has not forgotten you. This morning, you are not alone. When we turn to Christ, when we trust the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus, we have the opportunity to experience what Jesus talks about in John 10.10. He says, I have come so that you'll have life and have it to the full. It is through Christ and no other way, thing, person, place, or action that we can experience the fullest life possible. It is only through Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, you have come so that we have life. And life to the full. But God, in my humanity and in all honesty, there are times where I forget that. Where I'm distracted away from that. Where my eyes start to turn to other things. And I know I'm not alone. Help me. Help me to pursue contentment. Help us as a church to be a group of people who will pursue contentment, who will pursue a deeper, stronger, more knowledgeable, and tangible experience with you in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite the elders back forward again this morning. and We're going to share communion together. If you're new with us, that's simply something we do at the end of each service, and we ask you to come to the center aisle closer to you and walk down and receive the elements from the elder and bring it back to your church. I mean, bring it back to your church. Bring it back to your seat, and we'll share them together. So I invite you to stand and come forward now. And we'll share communion together.
5: I trust in God, my Savior, the one who will never fail. He will never fail. Oh, I trust in God, my Savior, the one who will never fail, I trust in God, Savior, the one who will never fail, He will never fail, I trust in God.
1: On the night Jesus was betrayed, Scripture teaches us that he took the bread and he broke it. And he shared it with his disciples and he told them that this bread was his body that was broken for them. And that when they would come together for this meal, they should, they should remember him in it. When we come to the table, the communion table, when we come to the table where we share and talk about the body and the blood of Jesus, this is a very tangible way that we show that we place God's priorities over ours. Would you pray with me this morning, Jesus? Lord, i just so mindful of your prayer in Gethsemane, where you said, God, I want to do it your way, not my way. God, I pray that would be our prayer this morning, that we would follow after Jesus, that we would be examples, that we would be models of what Jesus did, and that we would pursue God's will over our will. God, as we take the bread, we're so, Jesus, we're so thankful for the example you put forward. Would you take the bread? Scripture says after supper, he took the cup. I said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it and remember it's a me. I referenced earlier the Old Testament, the Old Testament and, and its reputation. The New Testament has a different reputation. The New Testament has this reputation that Jesus paid it all, which is accurate. Jesus paid it all. It's this it's this what we're focusing on right now. This is a reminder. This is to help us remember that the work of Jesus has paid it all. When we have sin in our lives, there's no penance that we have to pay spiritually, there's no blood that needs to be shed to wash it clean. That work is already done. We simply say, Jesus, forgive me. And He does. And so, Jesus, we thank you. Would you pray with me? We thank you that you've done the work. Be honored by what we say and what we do. Help us to trust and obey. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you take the cup? Would you stand with me as I close today? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Jesus, I pray that the heart that was, that you were after from the beginning for humanity, that we would trust and obey you. God, I pray that we as a church would be a group of individuals and a corporate body that trusts and obeys you. Be honored by what we say and do. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Oh, we have cake to celebrate our deacons and and to thank Pat in the cafe. Please join us in the cafe for coffee and cake. And we'll see you next Sunday.